I like to look around. I like to see the billboards. I like to see what's going on, you know, around me when I drive. And one thing uh, that I saw recently, you see it on this next uh, slide here. Anybody notice this on I-75? Anybody seen that? Raise your hand if you've, if you've seen that. Okay, so it's a, it's a billboard. And I got to thinking about that. So I looked it up and, and, uh, and learned a little bit about, about the story. But um, this gentleman wants everybody to know that uh, I believe in 2016 or so that uh, Jesus healed his, his wife and they prayed much. And he wants to get the word out about that. And I'm sure that all of us have some type of, all of us who are followers of Christ, we have some type of billboard story. So whether it's around our table, maybe at our house, uh, maybe if it's in our living room as we're getting uh, acquainted with new friends, and we have opportunities to share some of these billboard stories and say, this is what God did. This is how he worked, and this is how he showed his power. It might be at a coffee shop as you're meeting someone and uh, having the opportunity to rehearse uh, God's power and his blessings and his goodness in your life. And so there's these billboard stories, you know, that we have to tell and we should tell them. It gives great glory to God. But, and I've, I've told you some of the stories. I've told you, you know, one of the stories that, uh, that I share from time to time, how as newlyweds, we were in our master's, I was doing a master's, uh, and Kim had a very bad accident on a rainy day in Greenville, South Carolina. Lost control of the car, bottom of the hill, slammed into a telephone pole, but she's still here to talk about it. And I'm very thankful. Collapsed lung, a couple days in the hospital. God provided even financially uh, to cover the, the bills for her. She was almost to the point to get insurance with Graco Children's Products, but hadn't met the 30-day the time period or whatever, so we didn't have insurance on her. It would have been a very hefty hospital bill. So I like to rehearse that. I like to tell, this is how God provided, and this is how we saw him show himself strong. And it, the story could have ended very differently that day. When I was pulled out of class, I'd, I'd ridden my bike, I'd uh, used my bike to get to school at Bob Jones that day to do a master's. As I was pulled out of class, I thought he was going to tell me that I'd put my bicycle in the wrong place. You know, I'm like, oh my goodness, these rules at Bob Jones, what in the world? They're going to get on to me for putting my bicycle in the wrong place. But no, he pulled me out and he says, your wife has been in a car accident. She's being taken by ambulance to the hospital. We just wanted to let you know. I didn't know how bad it was. Long story short, She's still here, obviously, and, and because of that, if she had not made it through that, we wouldn't have had the birth of Jessica, Christina, Audrey, Mary, and Michael, and the story could have been completely different. So we like to rehearse. These are things that God has done. These are, these are ways that God has showed himself strong to us. But as sure as I am that all of us have some story like that, I'm also confident that each of you have stories where you prayed, you had faith, you knew that God could come through. You knew that God could heal maybe a loved one. You knew that God could resolve an unexpected financial crisis, maybe a relationship crisis you, you were going through. And you had these high hopes and high expectations. And people even encourage you and say, you know, God's going to come through. And maybe you've even thought, I want to give God the praise when he shows himself strong in this situation. And you were believing in faith. But maybe instead of being able to say like, Ron does, when no one else believed Jesus healed my wife, let's look at the next slide. Maybe your thought and maybe you're tempted to think this, when we all believed that Jesus would heal, he didn't even show up. 
Now, we probably would not say that verbally because that's not the Christian thing to say. That's not really the approved uh, Christian response. But maybe in our minds, we sometimes think that. When I really believe, when we all believe that Jesus would heal, that Jesus would resolve, that Jesus would do this, it seems like he didn't even show up. So we see a similar situation here with Mary and Martha. Lazarus uh, was very sick. They had a plan. They were pretty sure that the plan would work, I feel, because they knew Jesus well. Jesus knew them well. Jesus loved them. The Bible is very clear about that. Jesus had healed other people, and sometimes Jesus had even healed from a distance. He didn't even go. He said, you know, go, and your son or your daughter or whoever is going to be healed. As others, as you remember, the lady that had the, the hemorrhaging, the issue of blood, as she touched Jesus' garments, she was healed. So as Mary and Martha sent for Jesus, I believe they truly expected that he's going to come through. We're going to do everything we can to keep Lazarus alive right now and to, to help care for him. Medical resources were extremely limited, nothing like we have today. They couldn't go down to Kennestone. They couldn't go to Cherokee or Emory. They couldn't go to any, any of these places, and they're trying to keep Lazarus alive, but they weren't just tempted. But in essence, Mary and Martha both said very openly to Jesus, if you had been here, Lazarus would have been healed. Let's jump back into the passage John chapter 11, verses 17 through 21, to get some of the context. We already looked at last week, just an alarming situation that they were very concerned about Lazarus. Uh, we looked at the, the revealing conversation that Jesus begins to have with Martha and Mary both. And all the, already, Martha's struggling because she's plagued by the past, that, that Jesus didn't show up and it didn't quite match up with what she knew of Jesus and what she expected of Jesus and then exactly what he did. And the same thing is true with us. We have this tension sometimes where we know the truths and we know the promises, but then things happen in life and we have the tension in our hearts and our minds and we often wonder, Lord, how does this match? How does this declare your glory? How does this show your power? Look with me in John chapter 11, verses 17 through 21. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Remember, Martha's the doer. She's the one that's like, all right, let's go. I mean, I've got it. Well, I'm going to go talk to Jesus. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And again, I, I don't think she was accusatory. I, I just think she was, this was reality for her. I, I think she was grieving and she was just saying, you know, Lord, if you'd been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Next, we see in verse 22 that she's not only plagued by the past, she's not only thinking about, okay, how does this match up what I knew of Jesus and expected of Jesus and then what he did, but she's also struggling in the present. She's, she's struggling of how do I respond to this? How do I take the truths that I know and apply them right now? We see this in the next verse of John 11 and verse 22. Martha says, but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Can we say like amen to that statement? Is that something that you would agree to? Yes or no? Yes. I mean, this was great. Mar I mean, this is a good response in the sense of what she said. Lazarus, would have, he wouldn't have died, Jesus, if you'd been here. But I know that even now, 
whatever you ask of God, he will give you. However, through the rest of the passage, we see that although Martha said this and she, I, she believed it, but yet she was having difficulty taking this truth and applying it in her daily life and in this exact problem. Because we see through the rest of the passage, she knew that Jesus could, but she didn't think that Jesus would. I mean, she just said, I, I know that you can. Anything you ask of God, I know that this can happen. Sometimes we have the tendency to respond that way. Sometimes we know the truth. Sometimes we know the promises of Scripture. It's easy. Sometimes when life happens to us and Jesus doesn't match kind of our expectations, that we even say to ourselves maybe or, or hear from others the truths like in Romans 8.28, God works all things together for good. But yet in our heart we're thinking, but where is the good? How is this going to be good? Sometimes we say God is good all the time and all the time God is good. But in our deepest heart, we're thinking, but I don't quite see it right now. God, when are you going to show yourself strong? When are you going to help me to see how these pieces are going to come together? Sometimes we think like this. God, I know that you love me, that you're all powerful and good and merciful and so much more. So why did you allow this to happen? I wanted to give you praise. I wanted to give you the glory of showing yourself strong, but yet it didn't happen. Faith before fear, pastor. Sometimes we say that. And during COVID, we saw, especially in middle Georgia, Lawson, it was all over in many different yards as we'd go and visit and make. And we saw in a lot of different yards, you know, faith over fear. But sometimes in reality, the fear is dominating. So we struggle in the present, even though we know these things and maybe even recite them, but we have difficulty applying them to our everyday life. And one of the reasons I believe, we'll see in the next couple of verses, is that we... We know the truths, we know the theology, we know some of the doctrine, but yet in our minds it's like way distant future. It's like, yeah, I know that God eventually is going to work together, things together for good. I know that eventually I'll spend an eternity in heaven. I know that God is all powerful and that he can preserve, you know, he, he, he is powerful enough to keep me in him. I won't lose that. And so I know that my eternal destiny is secure, but my daily life I'm not so sure. Look with me what Martha experiences here in John chapter 11, verses 23 to 27. She's hopeful, but it's for the distant future. Jesus said to her in verse 23, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection. When? On the last day. Martha affirms this. She believes this. She says, I, I, I know. I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day, distant future. Maybe she remembered what, John, what Jesus had said earlier even. John records it for us in John chapter five, and I'll read it for you. It says, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Perhaps Martha was thinking about this, and she says, I, I know Jesus. I know that in the last day, He's going to be, you know, resurrected. He'll rise again. Martha rightly declared the truth. She said, she even said to him, 
Uh, notice the next verse. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, the fifth I am statement of John. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now notice how Martha responds. This is a textbook response. It's great. It could preach. Notice what she says. She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Nothing wrong with that answer. But again, she's, she's still kind of stuck in the distant future. She's hopeful about what Jesus can do, and, but still struggling with what happened in the past. Even in the present, I'm grieving. There seems to be no hope to this situation. And sometimes as followers of Christ, you and I, are, it's very easy for us to categorize these deep theological truths in our uh, distant future file. So we know these things, we've learned them. Some who have grown up in, uh, you know, in Christianity or whatever maybe have even learned some of the verses and you recite these, but yet you, you categorize them kind of in the file in your mind. You have this like distant future file and you kind of drop them in there. It's like, okay, yeah, I know. I know that God is, is good. I know, these, I know that I'm a citizen of heaven. I know that this earth is not all, you know, about, it's not all about this earth and my citizenship here, but my citizenship is in heaven. I know that Christ has declared that he will never leave me nor forsake me, uh, but I, I just am, I'm not feeling his presence and comfort right now. And we fail to make the connection of the distant hope of that promise to our daily life, to the daily problems that we experience. When Martha is saying openly, she's honest with Jesus, and when she questions Jesus, when she looks at a distant hope but struggling in the present, and it's encouraging that of how Jesus responds. Jesus doesn't yell at her. Jesus doesn't say, listen, you're being silly, Martha. I mean, don't you know who I am? I've just told you. But in his grace, in his mercy, he responds in love. But he, he encourages her and he reminds her, I am the resurrection and the life. Present. Last Sunday, we sang a song that, that really reinforces this, and it says, How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. The end is written. Notice, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Not just my distant hope, not just my eternal hope, but he's my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross is spoken. I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You've broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. As Paul 
learns these truths, as he explores these truths, and then as God uses him to write and record in scriptures in the letters to the churches, it led Paul, the Holy Spirit led Paul to write some of these things. Notice with me in Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might, what? Walk in newness of life. This is present reality. I am walking in the newness of life. I'm not just hoping about the future. I'm not just dreaming about what might happen someday ahead, but I can walk in the newness of life because of the power of his resurrection. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, present, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Same book, Philippians chapter 3, a few verses ahead, 13 and 14. Forgetting what lies behind. Not allowing the past to continue to plague us and to continue to distort our understanding and view of Jesus Christ. But forgetting what lies behind and straining forward, present, now, straining forward what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now Martha, after her encounter with Jesus, she went and called Mary and said, Mary, Jesus wants to see you. And so then Mary went, and Mary said the exact same thing as her sister. Mary said in John eleven thirty two. 32, now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Let's follow the narrative a little bit. John chapter 11, verse 31. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Then verses 38 and 39. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, notice, this is Martha the doer. This is the Martha who was one, one time when Jesus was in their house, was busy and getting things ready and was frustrated at Mary that Mary was just sitting and listening and worshiping Jesus. And Jesus said, Martha, Mary's chosen the better thing, but Martha's the doer. Martha was the first one to run to Jesus. And Martha is ready right now to respond to what Jesus is about to say. He said, take away the stone. Then Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time, there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. In essence, Martha was saying, Jesus, do you want to reconsider? Are you sure that you want to open the tomb now? I mean, it's been like four days. It's going to stink. There's a bad smell. Now, Martha has already said... She declared, and rightly so, she told Jesus, you know, if you'd been here, Lazarus would not have died, but I know that whatever you ask of God, he is capable, you, you, can, you can do that now, I know that. So Martha has declared that, that she believes that Jesus is still in control, he's all-powerful, and then when he finally gets to the point of saying, okay, take away the stone, Martha said one thing, but in the present, she's struggling to really apply that. And she goes, wait, it's going to smell, Jesus. And again, this is where I'm encouraged that even God includes things like these in Scripture. Because I think that. I think, I think things like that a lot. I've seen God work in the past. I know the promises. People encourage me, and I praise God for that. But there's some instances in my, in my life where I come, and I know these truths, but yet I, I'm faced with a scenario, and I go, 
God, I, I just don't think it's going to happen. I just don't, I don't really know how you're going you're gonna to work. But Jesus doesn't wait. He doesn't say, oh, forget it then. You didn't have enough faith. I'm not going to do what I was going to do. I, I had something in store, but you just don't have enough faith. So you know, we're just going to wait until you kind of come up. No, Jesus, he moved ahead. And he, he had already you know, said what he was planning to do. Notice with me in John 11, verse 40. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? This is a huge theme throughout this whole chapter. It's not primarily about Lazarus. It's not primarily about giving Lazarus life on earth again. It's primarily about others, the disciples, the sisters, the Jews who would end up showing up, and then even beyond in John chapter 12, so many others seeing the glory of God. He says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around. Notice the second theme, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus wanted to bring glory to God the Father. Jesus also wanted to bring glory to God the Son. We saw that in his first reaction to the messenger. This is not a sickness unto death. This is a sickness that will bring glory to God and to God the Son. But he wanted those to, to believe in him, to strengthen the belief of the disciples, to strengthen the belief of the sisters, and then to help many of the Jews who came to console the sisters believe for the very first time that he was the Messiah. He wanted them to believe. When I, he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. I think this is interesting. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus, in his sovereignty, in, in his perfect plan, he had waited till the, the exact moment that he wanted to show forth his glory and his power and lead others to believe in him. And in this very moment, he even says, okay, those of you around, help unbind him. I can't imagine that experience as, they, as Lazarus walks out and as then they begin to, to take the, you know, the burial wrappings off of him. And, and they're seeing for themselves. This, is not, this isn't like a trick. This isn't like magic. This isn't a second person in the tomb. This is Lazarus. The disciples were present. The sisters were present. But in addition to that, because Jesus had waited, there were many more Jews who had come to console the sisters. And so at this point, Jesus shows his power. Now, I can't help but think, this is a side note, not really deep theology here, but I can't help but think that maybe Lazarus later on, maybe that night, maybe the next day, sat down with Martha and Mary and said, hey, it's good to see you again, but why did you, why did you want to bring me back to life on earth? I was having a great time in heaven, but, you know, oh, all right, whatever. This, I mean, if that's Jesus' plan, that may he be glorified, but, you know, Bethany's not so grand anymore. I've been to heaven, okay? I've been in the presence of Christ. I don't know, but we can ask Lazarus when we get there, but I, I think that may have been some of what he thought. 
So we see the glory of God as a theme. I want to elevate Jesus. Jesus says, I want to elevate God the Father. I want to elevate myself and bring glory to myself so that others may believe. Now notice the mixed reaction. The mixed reaction that happened then still happens today. The mixed reaction. We've already seen, you know, the two main themes uh, the, the, the word believe appears five times in this passage. Now notice with me John eleven thirty three 33 through 37. We see in this little uh, clip here already a mixed reaction uh, of, of Jesus or about Jesus. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then the next verse, John eleven thirty five. 35, as a kid, this was my favorite verse because it was the shortest verse in scripture. It was easy to memorize. As an adult, it's one of my favorite verses because we can see the humanity, the compassion, the deep love, and it says simply, Jesus wept. Jesus knew what he was about to do. He knew that he was about to bring Lazarus back to life, but yet for, for, for reasons that we can't know all of the reasons, but one, I think he was moved that he saw those whom he loved be so, so saddened and, and not quite understand his full power. I, I think both of those things led him to, to weep and to, to grieve that day. Notice the mixed reaction. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? Wow. Look at Jesus' response. I mean, he's crying, he's weeping. Look at how much Jesus loved Lazarus. In the next breath, I mean, at the same point, at the same time that some of these Jews were saying that, notice what some of the other Jews were saying, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So you see some who are moved and, and, and respond and see, boy, Jesus really loves, you know, loved Lazarus. Others, maybe right in, still kind of in the crowd, are saying, goodness, I mean, can't, can't this guy who opened the, the eyes of the blind and couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Well, notice in John 11, verse 45, some believed in Christ. One of the main goals and themes that Jesus had did come to pass. Some did believe in Christ. We see this in verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. John 12 gives the record that even others who saw Lazarus and who interacted with Lazarus, still others would believe after that. So some did believe in Christ. Verses 46 through 48, though, some rejected Christ. Some rejected. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And from the rest of the passage, I don't, I don't think, it's, well, I can't be 100% sure, but from the rest of the verses, it doesn't appear that these, these, some of them, were going to give praise to Jesus, to the other Pharisees. It seems more like they're saying, what, what do we do now? Because we see in the next verse. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? Notice the next phrase. For this man performs many signs. There's not a denial of works that are being done. There's not a denial of the miracle. I mean, how can you deny that? I mean, it's four days. 
Some commentators even, even you know, wrote that some historians have written in the past that the Jews, some of the Jews had this belief that the soul would kind of hover around the body of a person for a little while, but for like three days. But then the fourth day, it's, it's some of the Jews in their superstition thought, okay, well, it's, it's done now. I mean, the soul is like, is gone. Now, whether that was true or not, but certainly four days is pretty good proof that somebody's, they're dead, dead. I mean, they're not just like, let's, you know, shock them or whatever. And bring, no, they're dead. They didn't deny that. For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And notice what frustrates them in a, in a huge way. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Wow. So some reject him, purely selfish motivation. Man, if we, you know, if we give any credence to this Jesus and actually say that he is the Messiah, who he is performing signs. I mean, you really can't deny that. Lazarus is walking around. He, he did perform signs. But what are we to do with him? Because we can lose our place here. We can lose our, our, our status here. It wasn't really a great scenario with with Rome, but they were fearful that it would get even worse. Then we see that many were just indifferent to Christ. They were indifferent. Notice John chapter 11, verse 55 through 57. But before that, I want to bring a little bit of reference here, and I want to qualify this. As I have said many, many times, some of you are here for the first time today, don't know me, don't know, you know my, my heart, but I, I'm, I'm going to say it again. As we enter to the election season, we need to pray, pray, pray for God's mercy and grace on our country. There is not one single candidate from either party or from a third party or from somebody, you know, that drops in from... I mean, no, nobody can be the solution of the problems that our nation faces. All right? That's my disclaimer. Wednesday night, first uh, candidate primary uh, debate of the Republican candidates. And as we watched that, some of the, uh, the moderators on a couple of occasions asked some questions. And then they would look up at the candidates and say, okay, raise your hand if you agree, you know, with this statement. And some of the, you know, candidates were like. At one point, Chris Christie just kind of did a, you know, a little, little side wave. And the moderators picked up on that. And the moderators said, hey, uh, Chris Christie, um, are you raising your hand or not? He's like, well, yeah, 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 I, I, I raised my hand. He's just a little slow. But they would not take neutrality as an answer. They didn't want you know, somebody to just kind of get away. They wanted a yes or no, a hand up or a hand down. And Jesus Christ, in a far more significant uh, uh, area of, eternal, of our eternity, of salvation through him, does not give us the option to be indifferent and to be neutral. The option does not exist. In fact, we see in John chapter 11, verse 55, it says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, Hey, so what do you think? What do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? So, I mean, people were hearing about Jesus. Lazarus had been brought back uh, from, from the dead. They were hearing about Jesus. And here at this huge Passover, a very cultural experience for the Jews, they're kind of looking around. Did, did, did Jesus come? Do you think he's going to come? 
Now, why was this a question? Now, the chief priests, the next verse, and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. And their end goal was not just to arrest him, but to take him out. And we, we have got to do away with this Jesus. But here we see many who they're interested. They would like to see, you know, is Jesus around? I mean, they're, they're interested, they're curious. But it seems like they're indifferent. It seems like they're neutral because they're not taking a stand. They're not standing up to the Pharisees and saying, you know, don't be ridiculous. You have admitted that he does signs. You've admitted that he's performing these signs and wonders and miracles. He is the Messiah. It's very likely that some of these same people, in fact, in John chapter 12, it says that many of these people came out to, to cry out and to, to proclaim, uh, uh, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And John 12 gives uh, some commentary that part of the reason that these people came out was because Lazarus had been raised from the dead. There's a lot of commotion. There's a lot of interest. And as they come out and they cry, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. But then in John 19, 12 through 16, it's very likely that some of these same Jews would then completely change their tune and go crucify him. For a while, neutral, different, we're curious. Something big happened? Yeah, we want to be there. We want to see what's going on. Defend him, proclaim that he's the Messiah, stand up for him, be thrown out of the synagogue because of him? No, no, no. Jesus said, and it's shown very clearly, that is not an option. Friday, a week ago, I went to a friend's house and donated something for uh, an ISF student, and we got to talking, and he said, yeah, I'm, tonight I'm going to go to a preseason Falcons and Bengals game. Anybody remember the final score of that game? AG, what? It was tied, 13-13, 13-13. Now, AG, let's give her a hand. I mean, that was phenomenal. She just pulled that out, 13-13. Did you watch the game? Okay. As he was, I had no idea until that moment that he mentioned that there was even going to be a game. He didn't ask me, David, so are you going to watch the game tonight? Are you going? He didn't ask me. He just told me that his family was going to go to the Mercedes-Benz, and they were excited. This was a big thing. His parents are visiting from Brazil, and said, so we're going to go to this, this game. He didn't ask me, do you cheer for the Falcons, David? He didn't ask me any of that. It doesn't, it, because the game happened and passed, which I didn't see, it has not changed my life at all. If I had never heard about the preseason Falcons and Bengals game, my life would have been no different than it is today. So I can be very indifferent. I can be neutral. If the Falcons play in the Super Bowl, I'll cheer for them. I'm, not, I'm just not one who follows all season long and knows all the guys and their stats. I enjoy watching football, but that's just not a, a, a big thing for me to, to follow that. If they're in the Super Bowl, I'll cheer. I'll watch the game. Christianity and believing in Christ is nothing like that. It's nothing like that. Now, I am very aware that God is bringing in our path many, many people who are exploring 
They're learning about Jesus. Who, who is Jesus? What is the Bible? What are the teachings? Is this something that is plausible? Is this something that there's evidence that I can put my faith in? And I praise God for that. I praise God that God is, is leading and working and using some of you along that journey to plant the seed and water the seed and pray and wait for God to give the increase. That is fantastic. But if you're here this morning and you are, you are in that exploration process, please hear me. If you ever get to the point where you think I can just be neutral about Jesus Christ. That's not an option. It's not an option. You either choose to accept him for all who he says he is. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of life. All of these things who he declared that he is, you either accept that 100% or you reject him 100% and say he was the biggest uh, 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 hypocrite that ever lived in the history of mankind. Those are the two options. We cannot be neutral. We cannot be indifferent about the I am, the resurrection, and the life. Would you bow your heads as we close this morning?